Today we will be reading Psalm 31. If you're in the hardback Bibles found under your seat, that is on page 431. Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes wasted from grief and my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was, besie- when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. That was kind of anemic. Good morning. There we go. We are here. Um, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Paul Taylor. I attend here at uh, Free City, and um, uh, hopefully I'm at least a familiar face to some of you and to others, uh, um, a a friend, and I'd like to get to know uh, everybody else as we go here, too. Today, um, we're going to study Psalm 31, and it would be easy to say, 
Um, this is just one more psalm between 30 and 32. And this is the filler, the odd number of psalm here. Um, and so what I'd like to do is maybe take a little deeper look at this from, from maybe a, um, a vantage point of David. Before I jump into that, though, I want to just kind of give us a kind of that textbook overview. So if we look at this psalm, uh, verses 1 through 8 really is David's going to profess his confidence in God. Then in verses 9 through 13, he's going to begin to just pour out his complaint. He's got some angst there that he needs to get out. Uh, In verses 14 through 18, he's going to make an appeal to God, but he's also going to express trust in God when he does this. In verses 19 through 22, he's going to wrap it up, as it were, with praise. And then finally, verse 23 and 24, he's going to encourage us. And so that's the broad stroke picture of Psalm 31. And if we walked away there, that'd be good, but I don't think it has, it doesn't connect on the level that we need it to connect. So none of these are really new concepts uh, to any of us about trusting God, um, loving him, wrestling with issues, wrestling with prom, uh, problems, and then being able to praise God at some point. And so as we look at Psalm 31, I would like to maybe call it not just psalm, which ultimately means song, uh, which David is obviously famous for, how he takes his, his what he's living and he he. He pours it into a song, but really it's a heartfelt cry. So it's heartfelt cry 31. How's that sound? Of David. Um, Let's change the scene. Let's move the pieces around just a little bit here. Let's imagine that we are with David. We're sitting here. Um, And he's he's invited us to be there with him. Uh, We know him maybe historically as a singer, songwriter. Um, he's a, also a warrior, uh, a giant killer. Um, he's a politician. He's a, a leader, a king. I don't know when this psalm was written, at what point along his life, uh, but he's, one thing that we do know about David from the very outset is he's a lover of God. Above all other things, he's got all those other titles, But he is, at the heart, a lover of God. And so what he's going to do here, we're sitting with him, and he's going to invite us to sit down. And he's going going to invite you to learn a song that he's just written. Um, And he isn't just writing songs to boost his iTunes sales. Or for that new cover song that he's going to go the best of David, you know. And he's, going to, he's not pushing for likes on his Facebook page. Um, he's not doing this to be the hit songwriter of Israel. That's me, David. <laughs> Catch me on YouTube. It's not about getting likes or reposts. I think that what's amazing that David is doing, um, he's, I think he's taking a, a risk. And what he's going to do, he's going to bear his very soul to us. He's going to do something that all of us, 
He's going to show a lot of personal courage. What he's going to do is he's going to let us see what he struggles with. And as he does it, we're going to connect with him and we're going to go, that's me. I I do that too. I'm, I'm that same place. That's, gosh, he's just like reading my mail. How does he do that? And we're going to discover we have so much in common with David. He's just like us, and we're just like him. We're going to discover that there's enemies who actually hate David. How could they hate David? He's a lover of God, right? He's a warrior. He's David's, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands dab right there, right? He's, he's, he's the front page of the Jerusalem Times. And yet there's, he's saying, there's people who hate me. Not only do they hate me, they hate my guts. And they would like to kill me. And he's distressing over all of this. And this, this, is, not, this is not potential. This is real life that he's living. Um, And so he's going to expose his insecurities to us. And he's going to teach us something. He's going to teach us how to wrestle with real life and with real issues. And find peace and security in God. I think we can learn so many things about David and through David. The things that he shares with us. When he's stressed out. His expression of choice is to talk it out, to sing it out, to pray it out. And in that, when he does that, fear leaves, insecurities go, and confidence in God takes its place. And he is and becomes that man of God that all of us can be, unless you're a woman of God. And then it applies. The point is, all of us can find that peace and security in God. And David's going to give us an insight in how that's done. So, should we begin? Let's do that. Up on the slide here, the title of what I'm going to share is called Trusting Life into God's Hands. Trusting our life into God's hands. How does that sound? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to just say thank you for the truth that you are worthy of our trust. And you have proven it time and time and time again in our lives and through the generations before us. And you will do it for our children and our grandchildren and all those who call on your name. Father, thank you that you have never failed anyone who has put their trust in you. No one who has put their trust in you and anchored it in has ever been put to shame or will ever be put to shame. No one else can make that promise, God. Only the true God, and that's you. And so, Father, we ask that you would open the scriptures, open the heart of what David is sharing with us, and, Lord, show us how we can embrace it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 1 starts out, if you have your Bible and following along, we're just going to put, 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 right on down. So it says, in you, O Lord, I, do I take refuge. Never let me be put to shame. 
In your righteousness, deliver me. Now, we could stop with that verse 1 because it has all the components in it right there. It's like a seed that David starts, he drops it, and then it just grows into the rest of the psalm. Because it, it tells right off the bat who is the object of David's trust. In you, O Lord. He states it right there. He could trust in a whole lot of other things, but he's saying up front, I've chosen one and you're it. He says, do I take refuge? You are my hideout. You are where I'm going to find my safety. And he says, in essence, he's saying, because of that, you are my God and I make you my refuge. Never let me be put to shame. How many of us could say that uh, that is one of the biggest struggles that we have? That one of the things that we fear the most is being put to shame. I know for me, that's a struggle. I don't, I, I would do, I, I do all sorts of, burn a lot of calories on, on not doing that and being put to shame. That's something I fear. That's something I, I dread at times. And, and obviously David did too. And he says, don't let me be put to shame. Um, because I'm anchoring not just personally, but he's saying, uh, because I'm anchoring my trust in you. And it says, in your righteousness, and I love that part, <laughs> let's not use my righteousness as the measuring tape here. Can we just use your righteousness? Would that be okay, God? In your righteousness, would you save me? Would you protect me? Would you preserve me? He goes in verse 2 and he says, would you incline your ear? Would you tilt your ear? You know, when somebody is paying attention to something and they are, they, you know, and, and maybe there's ambient noise, other conversations going on. And if you really want to hear something, you kind of lean in and you go, eh, what? Okay. And so David is saying, pay attention out of all the voices. Would you listen to my cry? He's saying, would you tilt your ear right over where can you hear my voice, even if it isn't confident, even if it isn't not in my righteousness, even if you know me for who I really am, would you still pick my voice out of the crowd? That's what David is saying. I need to hear, know that you hear me, God. And so he says, when you hear me, when you hear my voice, almost like a, a mother, how many mothers, those, there are, I know there are some mothers in here. How many of you can pick out the sound of your child crying in a, in, in, in a ba at the babysitter or in there? How many of you know your child's cry above all the other cries when you have a whole room full of children? Anybody can do that? You know. It's like, I hear my child. That's my child right there, the one screaming the loudest, the most often. But he's saying... You know my voice, God. Incline your ears so that you can and come and rescue me speedily. Be that rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. And then he folds it right into verse 3. He's looking for security. He's looking for something to protect him. He says, you're my rock. You're my fortress. And for your namesake, you lead and guide me. Now in those days, I don't know that it's like a high, 
they didn't have a whole lot of structures. They didn't have uh, NORAD in Colorado Springs. They didn't have those deep cavernous fortresses underground. I mean, it's, it's, they either built something out of stones or something, or they found a high place, or they got on top of a mountain. Their options were limited, or they ran like crazy. But he's saying, where can I go to find refuge? Where is safety found? What can I count on? Don't we kind of ask the same questions? Where can I go? Where can I find safety? Um, let me ask you this. Even in our time, where can we go? Is there any place we can go and know that we're going to be perfectly safe, protected, secure, have everything that we need. No one can get us. No one. Is there any place on earth that we can go where disaster can't follow us, something go wrong, something go badly wrong for us? Is there any place? Think about it. Can we go some, can we drill into the depths of the earth and be perfectly safe? Yeah, until your water runs out and you're not going to plant crops down there until the MREs run out or whatever it is that you, the Skittles that you took down there. I don't know. But that's not going to be a long-term place or a plan of safety. What if we went into outer space and we're away from earth and we're flying through space? No one can get us there. But you've watched the movies. Eventually, there's a spark in the wiring, right, that destroys the oxygen system. And it's like, you know, and then suddenly there you are and trying to scramble it. There's no place. The point is, whether it's on earth or under the earth, over the earth, there's no place where disaster can't reach us. There's no ultra, super, secret, or any place that is safe enough. The people who were going up to um, Mount Everest, the tallest mountain, I don't know if you've read the news, they, were, they had a line up there, and there were so many hikers that they got up there. They're away from everything, and they're dying because the line is so long, they're running out of air. And, or the, when they're coming down, they're dying, and they've had more deaths there. There's no place, no mountain high enough, no fortress deep enough, there's nothing, and David's saying, I know this is true, but would you be my refuge, God? Would you be my strength? He also goes on to say, in verse 4, he says, would you take me out of the net that they've hidden for me? He's talking about some enemies here, unnamed and again, uh, he says, for you're my refuge. So it's not so much that I could, what if they capture me? What if I'm ensnared by something? What if, what if they catch up to me, they trap me? And, whether, uh, and, and so I, he's struggling with the same things that we struggle with. And how many of us have found ourselves trapped by choices we've made? by things we did or didn't do or just ensnared in things that we never anticipated. Um, read a story here recently about a young man who had a wonderful job. He's an engineer. He's got everything going for him in life. 
He has an injury, a back injury. He gets on Oxycontin for his injury before he knows it. He's, he's addicted to Oxycontin before he knows it. He, he struggles to, do, to, um, um, to give, live uh, without it, and eventually that transfers him over to heroin. He gets deep into heroin. He can't keep up his habit. He starts robbing banks just to support the habit, and he says, how? And they finally, after 30 banks, he robs 30 banks, good at what he did, the problem was is that he had worn himself out and he had said, how did I get here? How did I get ensnared in it? And it goes all the way back. Some of the things that we get ensnared in started out good, but they turned bad. Maybe it's a relationship that started out good, but it has become bad. How did I get here? But I am trapped by my circumstances. I'm trapped by my addictions. I'm trapped by the words that I've said. I'm trapped by the sins that I've committed. How did I get here? How did this happen to me? Whether it was done, I did it to myself or whether others have done it to me, those who hate me. And David says, "Um, but the good news that David says, it's the Lord that I'm calling out to who will get me out of this net that I'm ensnared in. Again, he's saying, it's not where I run to, it's not what I do, it's who I go to, who I decide is my refuge. And it says, it's the Lord. And David's just crying out, take me out of the net, Lord, for you are my refuge. Whenever we find ourselves trapped in something that either whether it's of our own doing whether it's somebody else's doing or a combination thereof the good news is the source of our rescue can always be the same and that's Jesus Christ who will incline his ear to our cry no matter how deeply we feel trapped No matter what we have done, if we know there is only one place to get unensnared, to be released from the trap, it's Jesus Christ. And in that vein, in verse 5, it says, into your hands, David is so convinced that, that God is his only source. He just, of all the things around him, that he could choose, he could pick. He says, I make my commitment to one, and into your hand I commit my spirit. You've redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. This is one of the most powerful verses, not only in this psalm, but did you know that this psalm and these words were the last thing on Jesus' mind? This verse that we are reading was on Jesus' heart. Maybe he was reciting this psalm because everything applied to him. He was saying, he said at the very end of hanging on the cross, he used this at the very moment of his just prior to his death, and he says, into your hands, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. 
for Jesus, it's all he had left. His friends were gone. His clothes were gone. All other worldly help was gone. His appeal before Pilate is gone. His health is gone. His arms, his feet are pinned down by nails. He has nothing left. His blood is just about gone. I mean, he's, he's, he's bled, he's suffered, and all he has left now is the breath that he speaks, the life, the spirit life, the breath that he has into him. And he says, now to you, I give even that, Father. It's safe for me to do that. Of all the sources, of all the earth, and of all the world, and all of time, you are the one source that I can trust with my very breath and my very life. Receive it. And it's interesting, he says, into your hands. Can you picture that? The Father. Invisible but with hands in front of Jesus as he receives, he says, into your hands now. And he takes the spirit of Jesus and he does something miraculous with that. For David, he's committing his spirit to God to save him from death, but Jesus is in death committing him, his very life as that sacrifice for our sins as that atonement for our sins. And all of that, all that he has done and all that he has suffered and all that he has been whipped and, and, and lied about and falsely accused and rejected and all the things and betrayed, all of those things, all he has left is his breath. And Jesus says, of all the sources, I choose you, Father. And God receives that. And when we entrust ourselves, whatever level, to the Father and to those same hands, like David did, like Jesus did, it's the only safe place in all of life and eternity. And he's worthy of it. He holds it. And he says in John chapter 10, he says, you're in my hand and no one, no one can snatch you out of my hands. No one. When God has us, it is the safe place in all of life, all of eternity. David goes on and he says, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. Now, why does David say this statement? I hate those that, that put their trust in idols. And the reason really is it's because David sees the whole issue so clearly. He sees it black and white because it is black and white. There's only one safe place. And that's God the Father. And everything else that tries to mimic that safety, mimic that protection, mimic that, uh, that offer is an idol. It's a imposter it will fail you 
And so there are so many people around David who are saying, no, put your trust in your army. Put your trust in, the, in, in, in chariots and horses and all those things. And he's saying, no, those are just idols. They're going to fail you. There's only one, only one place I can put my trust, and that's in you, God. And everybody else is a counterfeit. And that's just really what idols are. They will let you down, and you will be put to shame. And David knows it, and he's declaring it. But he says, I put my trust in the Lord. The word trust means to have confidence in. To put, I put my confidence in this. We can put our confidence in a whole lot of things, can't we? It's easy to do. Um, we can put our confidence in insurance companies. Uh, I could tell you some scary stories about that. It's not that insurance companies are bad. It's just, mm, it doesn't always play out the way you think it will, if you haven't figured that out yet. I've talked with a number of people over these past weeks who've lost everything, lost their homes, lost with the tornado coming through. Um, and and I, I've listened to a lot of different stories. And, and the truth is, is there's a lot, it, it leaves us lacking. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord. Take this counsel. Trust in the Lord, the object of your faith, with all your heart. That's your level of commitment. And do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he's going to make your path straight. And so what I would just say, what David is saying, is that this concept, this trust in the Lord with all of our heart, has universal application to all of us for all of life. And I would just say, don't let any area of your life, don't let there be any area of your life that you don't pray and commit your needs, your desires, your tears, your hopes, your dreams, your losses. Commit those into Jesus' hand and put your trust in him with all of your heart. So I had a little bit of a situation happen uh, last week, and it was interesting. Uh, I think it was last week. So we had all these storms coming through, right? And so these storms happened, and I prayed. I says, Lord, I commit ourselves to you. I pray that you would protect us, watch over us, deliver us. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, but and this is the kind of a prayer I pray all the time. And so... Um, go to work, and I talked to my wife later that day, and she says, oh, I know you're busy all day, but by the way, the tree fell down on the house. <laughs> what? And she says, yeah, I, I knew you were busy. I just didn't want to bother you. And I go, is it leaking in the roof? And so, so sure enough, uh, there's the top of the tree fell off onto the roof. And so there is an unnamed person up there who is doing um, might have been this equipment right here and might have been on, on top of the um, roof, just might have been. And, and so there had to be some way to get this branch off, or actually multiple branches. It was probably about a third of my tree. 
And so there had to be some way in which I could go up there and find some place to anchor myself because if you, you probably can't tell by the just by looking, uh, maybe go to the next slide. I had to find some place to anchor off. And the problem was, and you can't tell it from the slide, but there's really from the top of my roof to the bottom, it's about 450 feet down. <laughs> it only looks like a couple stories. But that's really not accurate. And don't look at the yellow clippers, sharp clippers, right over by the rope as it sits there. So I needed some place to anchor off onto. I needed something. And I had my friend Don, my next-door neighbor, and he says, Hey, I'll help you. And I said, Oh, come on up. He said, I don't do roofs, sorry. And I said, Well, I could have my buddy Don I could okay let's have Don I'll, I'll throw this over to Don and Don will he'll hold me on that side and then in my mind I'm going I picture myself falling off the roof the other end attached to Don Don is going up I'm going down we're somewhere between heaven and earth and there we are suspended I'm thinking this is no well, let's not do that and so I'm thinking, what else? Where do I anchor? Where is my refuge? And I'm thinking, I'll... And so I thought about this, and eventually I thought, you know what? There, even the chimney, I thought about this, I thought, you know, I can anchor off onto this chimney. And I had pictures of me actually falling off, and suddenly that chimney coming loose, and I'm going, ah, and I'd stop. And then all of a sudden I hear this rumble as the top of the chimney comes rolling off the roof. Ah! And I thought, yeah, that's, I don't like that picture, but this is the only point that I know. And so at that point, I made a decision. And I made, the decision was, I'm going to commit myself to God, ultimately. Not the, not the chimney. I'm not going to commit myself to that, even though I can anchor there. I'm going to anchor myself into the place that really matters, and that's God. And so I prayed, and out of that whole thing, I ended up being able to do what I needed to do. I, the rope would catch me from time to time, and it would remind me, God's got me. It wasn't that the chimney has me. It's God's got me. That's right. I'd prayed. God's got me. And so I would do, got it all done, cleaned all up. It's all gone. And I thought, God, why? And he goes, how about a sermon illustration? I go, wow, thank you for that. I appreciate that. So, verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Because when we anchor our hope in Christ, that's the result, is that we can rejoice and be glad. Um, goes on to say, you've not delivered me into the hands of my enemy. You've set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm in distress and my eyes wasted from grief. Now, he's going to go into something here, and then I'm going to wrap it up. But he's, he's saying, he's telling us the depths. I mean, this is David saying, I am in such distress about this. I am wrestling with this in such place. 
that my I, my eyes are all swollen, you know, that ugly cry and your face and the snot's coming down and all that kind of stuff where you just, and he's saying, I'm in distress. My eye is wasted from grief and my soul and my body too. Um, and he says in verse 10, my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. Um, so, you know, as we just, as we're, I just think about Isaiah 53, 3. It says, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Even as believers, we're going to experience grief. We're going to experience sorrow. We're going to experience things that just literally rock us to say, where or will we put our trust? Where is the anchor to our soul? What are we facing right now? And even Jesus had to wrestle with this issue. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Every one of us has to go through a period of time. Will I put my trust in myself? Will I put it in my, um, my degree, my job, my family, my, my skill set? Where will I put it? And some, we've got to wrestle through those counterfeits and get to the place where we say, I will anchor myself in the one and only source, and that is God the Father through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it takes us through the grief. It takes us through the sorrow. It takes us through. um, uh, And Jesus understood. He wrestled. He fought. And when he came out of Gethsemane, it's like, it's settled. Peace. Let's go do this, guys. Let's go. He knew how the end was going to play out. And he, with all the beatings, with all the suffering, with all the torture, he knew. And yet he said, let's go. He was a man of confidence. He knew where he was anchored. And with that anchoring, you can go. Careful. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach. He goes on. He says, I'm like one that's been forgotten who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. And I think he's talking about like a deep, dark place. where The, the place that frightens us all where we say, I feel thrown away. I feel like I've got no value. I feel like I'm worthless. I feel like I'm just like a piece of broken pottery pitched. And, and oftentimes... We say those things to ourselves. Maybe other people say some things, but when we believe it and we embrace it, then it feels very true. For I hear the whispering of many, it says in verse 13, terror on every side. Do you hear what David's saying? No matter how many battles he's fought, no matter all the victories he's had in the past, today's issue is new. Today's challenge is fresh. I've got to wrestle through this one too. And this one's terrifying me. David's literally terrified and surrounded. But right here, all of a sudden, everything changes. Between verses 13 and 14, he says, it's almost like he takes a deep breath. Something gets settled. And he makes the decision from this point forward. It's true, all the terror, all the nets, all the enemies, but... I put my trust, I drop my anchor in the Lord. And then something changes inside of him and between he and God. It's like the presence of God fills him. 
the confidence of God fills him. And he says, but I trust in you. O Lord, I say of you, you are my God. And there it is. There's the declaration. There's the anchor. There's the tie-off. Now I'm safe. No matter what men do, no matter what I think, no matter what happens from here, my anchor's solid. James 1, 5 through 18 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask with faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not believe and suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Don't be the bunny on 27th Street that I watched who came out in front of a car, early morning walk, that bunny was in front of the car, the only car that ever came along that whole morning, and the bunny's sitting right there. And by the time the car drove over him, he had gone 12 different directions in the space of 1.5 seconds. Boom, 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 pop. And he came out the side. And for all you bunny lovers, he ran away. He was safe. But that was a double-minded rabbit if I ever... Or triple-minded rabbit or quadruple, hundred-fold rabbit. My t- now he says, Dave, we're going to move real quickly. My times are in your hands. And verse 16, save me in your steadfast love. Verse 17, don't let me be put to shame. Verse 18, let the lying lips which speak insolently against the righteous and in pride and contempt, let them be mute. Let them be quiet. And the only way we can do that is if we are anchored in those things that we cannot control. We can't control what people say about us. We can't control those things. We can't control the injustices of life. He just says, anchor. Anchor yourself. And then he goes and says, verse 19, how abundant is your goodness. Is he the things now he's anchored in and now he's discovering the fruit of anchoring our hope and our trust in Christ. And it says in verse 20, in the cover of your presence, you hide me from the plots of men. You store them in the shelter from the strife of tongues. Verse 21, blessed be the Lord. He's wondrously shown his steadfast love for me when I was in a besieged city. In verse 22, he says, I had said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. And when I cried to you for help. David's now telling a past tense story. And then about when God saved him the last time, he cried out for him. And he's telling us, I had said this, and you heard, and you heard my cries for help. And now he says in verse 23 and 24, Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays those who act in pride. The pride is those who trust in themselves comes up with their own solutions, comes up with their own anchors, the ones that fail. And finally, verse 24, be strong and let and take courage, all of you who wait for the Lord. And now I think David turns as we sit here with David in a sense, and he looks at us and he's speaking to us and he's saying, be strong, take courage. Wait on the Lord. You won't be put to shame. Commit your fears. 
your needs, your hopes, your dreams, your longings, your injustices, your very lives to God. He's telling you, anchor. Anchor your very lives to God. Put your trust in the one and only source of all help. God, your Father. Let's pray. Lord, I pray as we just pause here for a moment. I wonder if anyone has placed their anchor or their trust or their hope in anything other than you. Lord, there's an opportunity here to sever that anchor. We can repent from it. We can turn from it. We can say, God, forgive me where I've anchored it in a, maybe a spouse or any number of things or my own intellect or my own skill set or my own giftings or whatever it is, whatever has felt like we were anchored to. Lord, you, Holy Spirit, you know, point out the anchors that not only can but will with time fail us. And Lord, we just turn from that. We repent from that right now and say, God, would you forgive me? There's no anchor but you. And when we, Lord, help us settle those things. Settle those things. And Lord, and I pray as that gets settled, that the peace comes, the confidence comes, that we can walk through anything, not just for you, but with you and in you. And even our breath is kept safe with you. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for making this a reality. A reality. Thank you, Lord. As we get ready for communion, let's just stay in an attitude of worship. Let's just stay in an attitude of staying before God, this kind of that intimate place where we're reaching out. And as you move to communion, practice open communion where if you know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, uh, you've accepted him, you've put your trust in him, you're welcome to come up and take part in communion. If that's not where you're at yet, I encourage you to do that. There may be some slides or something that you can focus on. Um, and maybe you know it's not quite time. Be at peace. Receive what God is doing. Put your trust in him. And God will meet you right there. He will turn his ear to you. Um, as you make your way to the front, you'll see that there is bread, a loaf of bread. There is, and you can tear off a piece of bread and there, you can dip it into the uh, glassware that is, has grape juice and the ceramic ware that has wine and dip that in and then make your way back to your seat. And as you come to communion, let's just rejoice like David did in the steadfast love of the Lord uh, because he is your refuge. He is the one who unentangles you from the traps that you're in. He's, he is your peace and your confidence. And you can trust your very life just as he trusted his life to the Father. You can trust your life to him. Someone will be at the back after communion to pray with you if you would like. So bless you, Lord. Just receive us right now, wherever we're at, into your hands. In Jesus' name, thank you for your communion with us. Amen.
Spoke your name. 